Um, yeah, a lot of exciting things happening. Next week, baby dedications. My baby's gonna be dedicated, so super excited about that. Um, and yeah, a lot of kids coming. God's doing a great work here at Freedom Village Church. Um, and I also just so appreciate worshiping with you every single week. What a privilege it is to be able to come together and just worship. Uh, worship God because he is fully worthy of all of it. Like every single breath that we take given unto him, uh, he's worthy of it all. Um, so what a privilege it is to have a space to where we can come. Privilege it is to, um, to have a worship band that leads us in that. Um, and what a privilege ultimately it is to have a God so incredibly holy, so incredibly loving, and so incredibly worthy of our worship. Um, and really, you know, worship is a chance to behold God. Um, and, and as you know, we've been in a mini-series alongside Pastor James' series through the book of John. Um, and that, that series has been called Behold. It's behind me. And I, I hope, you know, obviously it's toward the end of the year. Uh, you know, whenever... You know, either Pastor James isn't here or, or I get up with the microphone or this is up, you know what's coming. It's me. <laughs> All right? Um, no, no, no. What was it? Okay. No, who didn't holler? Um, but I, I, hope, um, I hope we never become bored of beholding our king. Um, I hope that is never a dull thing for us. Um, and today we get an opportunity to behold him yet again. Uh, as we look at a person who literally uh, was beholding Jesus face to face. Um, and we turn to the word of God, Luke chapter 10, as, um, as Mandy already read. But it's a wonderful little story, and it appears nowhere else in the other gospel accounts. So it's a unique story um, within the gospels. And, and really, it, it fits wonderfully into the purpose of the historian Luke, who writes the history and the, and the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So it occupies a very important place in the flow of this gospel, but even more importantly, should occupy a very important place in all of our lives. So before we dive in, let's, let's read it once again. Read that text again. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part or the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we look to you as the fountainhead of all truth, all that is good and all that is beautiful. We pray that the, the truth which is revealed to us today in your holy word may grip our souls and profoundly influence the way we live. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. What if I were to ask you to evaluate a marriage between a husband and a wife? Evaluate a marriage. And the first thing you notice about this couple is that they are busy. 
So busy. Uh, the wife works, and she takes care of the children most of the time. The father works as well, and he works overtime most of the time in order to support everything. They, they have activities at church. They both serve at church. They volunteer in different ways within the community. If you were to pick one word to describe this couple, you would say, they busy. That was two words. You would say, you would say busy. But the, <laughs> but then if you look a little closer, even though they were involved in multiple activities that served the family, there was little to no communication between them. If you were to ask the wife about the husband's dreams and ambitions, she would be at a loss. If you were to ask the husband about her dreams and ambitions, he would be at a loss. Even though they're involved in doing a lot of things, they really missed what marriage was all about, which is oneness, being one flesh. So now, I'm going to ask you another question. What if I were to ask you to evaluate another relationship? What if I were to ask you to evaluate your relationship with the Lord? How healthy is that relationship? Maybe you think, well, my relationship with the Lord is pretty good. I'm, I'm involved in the local church. I help out with missional family. I serve at the homeless shelter. I'm spiritual overall. I give my talents, my resources, my time, and all those things are good. I'll say it again, all those things are good. But it can be true at the same time that there's a lack of engagement. There's a lack of communication. And instead of your life being characterized by personal devotion to God, it's more characterized by activity and distraction. And now in our story today, the story of Mary and Martha, Mary, Mary is, of course, the hero of the story. Jesus says that she chose the good portion, the good part. She made the right decision. But the focus of the text is actually on Martha. She's mentioned in almost every verse. Mary doesn't even say a word. So, so the focus here is more on the negative example than it is on the positive. The focus is on Martha. But before we get to Martha, in the text, let's talk about these two ladies just for a bit. And, and we'll, we'll find both Mary and Martha first in John chapter 11. I'm not going to exegete John chapter 11 too much because Pastor James is in John, and I don't want to give away any spoilers or anything like that. Mary and Martha, they have a brother named Lazarus, who some of us will be familiar with, and in John chapter 11, Lazarus becomes gravely ill, and the sisters decide to send a letter to Jesus, saying, hey, you need to get here, or he's going to die. And the text says that he cares so much that he waited two more days. And you're like, huh? waited two more days, and then he went. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days, which is culturally significant, because four days a person dead, they, they qualified that person. They dead dead, <laughs> right? Like, there's, there's no coma involved. You know, they're not uncon They're dead. So, so he, was, he was dead dead. And Jesus arrives, and Martha hears that Jesus is, is now in Bethany, where, where they lived, and she rushes out, and she says, Jesus, if you were here... My brother will be alive. And Jesus says, well, your brother will rise again. 
And then Martha says, well, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection to come. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So after this conversation between Martha and Jesus, Martha then goes to get Mary, who's at home, sitting. And so she goes to get Mary, and Mary's like, oh, Jesus is here. And and the text says that she quickly ran to Jesus. It says that she saw Jesus and fell at his feet. And then she asked the same question that Martha asked. Same words. Not, Not a question, but the statement. Same words. She says, if you were here... My brother would still be alive. Same words, different response from Jesus. Because now Jesus, the text says, he was moved. And I I believe he was moved by her posture, and the text says he was moved by her tears, her posture and her passion. And then he said, where is he? Where is he? Where did you lay him? That's what he says. So there's our first instance of Mary and Martha. And we also see Mary of Bethany once again, just before Christ's crucifixion in Mark chapter 14. And it reads like this. I believe it's up on the screen. A woman, in other gospel accounts, we find out it is Mary of Bethany. A woman came with a jar of special perfume. She had given much money for this. She broke the jar and poured the special perfume on the head of Jesus. Some of them were angry. So why was this special perfume wasted? This perfume could have been sold for much money and given to the poor. They spoke against her. Jesus said, let her alone. Why are you giving her trouble? She has done a good thing to me. You will have poor people with you all the time. Whenever you want, you can do something good for them. You will not have me all the time. She did what she could. She put this perfume on my body to make me ready for the grave. Surely, I tell you, wherever this good news is preached in all the world, this woman will be remembered for what she has done. So here in the text, we see that Mary poured a pint of very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet wiped them with her hair in spite of criticism from Judas and probably other uh, disciples about the waste of this costly substance. Mary said nothing. Instead, Mary allowed Jesus to defend her in that circumstance. So what do we learn about Mary? What do we know about Mary of Bethany? And after studying this past week or so, Um, If I were to pick a hero from the New Testament outside of Jesus, uh, Mary of Bethany would be somewhere at the top of the list. Because we know about Mary of Bethany that she refused to waste any moment she had in the presence of Jesus. We know that she urgently went to his feet when she sees him, the text says, she fell at his feet. When, when, when she listens to his words, she urgently finds her way to his feet. And I wonder if we live with this urgency, urgency to be in his presence, urgency to learn from his words, urgency to listen, urgency characterized Mary of Bethany. And we seem, at least I do personally, 
to be okay urgently pursuing everything else, pursuing that promotion, that relationship, that title, that position, that business endeavor, but how urgently are we walking with the Lord? And as I said before, the focus today is on Martha and her story. And I think as we step into these these seven days of prayer and fasting, I hope today we learn how to refocus ourselves in discipleship. Um, and, And if you have been distracted by many things, hopefully today we decide this week to change that, to refocus ourselves, recenter ourselves on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we go through these verses, we're gonna see characteristics of a distracted disciple. And again, as we go through these, we can find, hopefully find, a ways to turn our attention again to beholding Christ. And I hope by the end of this that we simply grow in our desire to relentlessly pursue him, uh, to pursue a more intimate relationship with the Lord. And that there's a new fervor, a new, a new heart to pursue him. So characteristics of a distracted disciple. Maybe some of us are distracted here this morning. Uh, We're distracted by busyness. I know it's a busy season for many of us. We're distracted by many good things, distracted by people, distracted by relationships, and some of us need to refocus. And I hope that's one of the purposes, not I hope, it is one of the purposes of these seven days. So as we enter into that, let's look at this text deeply. And not just now. I encourage you, man, this is a convicting text. I encourage you to look at it throughout the week as well. Characteristic number one. Characteristic number one. The distracted disciple is distracted by good things. Verse 38, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, we know that the village is most likely Bethany, because that's where this family lived. And this family was very close to Jesus. In John 11 and 12, these three are described as a family that Jesus loved. So Jesus enters the village of Bethany in verse 38, and as he enters the village, Martha welcomes them, probably he's with his disciples, into her home. And let's understand that that word welcome Uh, It doesn't mean, hey, stop on by any time. In the Greek and Roman culture, hospitality was viewed very highly. If you invited someone into your home, you were expected to entertain, be the life of the party, clean, cook for everyone, and it better be good food. There was a high expectation for the host. So So it's right to say, it is correct to say, that Martha here ain't done nothing wrong. This is a good thing. She has invited probably 13 men into her home, which is a promise that you will have some good cooking and a clean place to hang out. So this was was hard work. This was a good thing. It's exactly what she should have done, both culturally and I think as, uh, as as a service to Jesus. It's what she should have done. And then the story goes on to contrast now 
between the response of Martha and the response of Mary. And we continue in verse 39 of the text uh, toward the beginning part of verse 40. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, today when we read this and we're wondering why Jesus is being so rude, I mean, come on, get Mary a chair. She's sitting on the floor at your feet. Uh, But this posture of being below someone was, was declaring to everyone in the room that you view the person speaking as an authority, as a teacher. So so the disciples of Jesus would often be at his feet to receive instruction. And something else as well, this would have been, um, it would have been a shocking thing for Luke's audience to read, that that a woman sat down at her rabbi's feet, assuming the position of a disciple. Because rabbis generally didn't have women disciples. So as, 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 as Luke's audience is reading through this, that would have been a shocking revelation to them. And it's almost guaranteed that, that Jesus would have, he actually would have been reclined at, at a lower table as well. And positionally, rather than being at his head side, the disciple or the one that's learning from his instruction would have been toward his feet as he's reclining. So she's at the foot side of Jesus. And so there's a proper place to sit depending on who you're with or or the type of meeting that it would have been. Who gets the booth versus the chair, inside, outside, feet, towards the head, that sort of thing. It mattered. And so her taking this, this, this place at his feet was more than simply a respectful thing. It was making a statement to everyone in the room that, hey, I, I view this man as an authority of my own. He's a teacher of mine. He's someone I respect. And I'm going to listen to every word he has to say. Right? That, that's what she's saying uh, through this posture. So we learn in verse 40 that Mary is at the Lord's feet. And then, again, notice it says that Martha is distracted with much serving. She's doing good ministry. She is working hard. She is pacing back and forth, probably between the living room and the kitchen, wondering if Mary's going to notice anytime soon. Ain't nothing happening, but she's working hard. She's doing good service for the Lord Jesus Christ. But she's distracted by it. She's involved in all sorts of things related to being a good host, but, but you see, the same can be true of us. We can be busy with good things. Friends, job, family, ministry, good things. We can be busy with them and we can be distracted by them. And we're seeing that here, that, that Martha, she's not distracted necessarily by bad things. She isn't getting high in the kitchen. She's working, but she's distracted nonetheless. Instead of focusing and listening to her Savior, she's distracted by good activity. I wonder if any of us are distracted by good things this morning. If we assume that because we're more active, our relationship with Christ means it's going well. But in reality, he wants something deeper. He wants you 
not what you do. Way more than what you do, he wants you. Have you gotten good at serving, but forgotten how to sit? The distracted disciple is distracted by good things. There's a second principle here that we're going to see. The distracted disciple is resentful of others. Ouch. But Martha was distracted with much serving, it says. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? That's bold. (laughs) Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And notice here that she doesn't just call attention to her efforts, but she actually tells Jesus what to do, what he should do. In her anger, she tries to take the place of the Heavenly Father and direct Jesus in what she thinks he should do. See, she's mad at Mary, and she's mad at Jesus for not doing something about it. And listen, once you shift your focus and get distracted by what you are doing over who you are doing it for, it's not long before you begin to resent it and start blaming everyone around you for your situation. Why aren't there more people serving in my ministry area? Why are more people doing what I'm doing? If they love Jesus, they would serve like me. And on and on it goes. Serving isn't bad, by the way, it's good. Of course, it's good. We all need to serve in the local church, serve our families, serve our missional families, serve our community, but we can put serving over sitting. And if we keep serving and we don't learn to sit, the serving becomes an idol. It becomes more about the serving than it is about the one to whom the service is for. So here's a good test for you as I think it was for Martha. How do you feel about your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you resentful toward others? They're not involved in ministry like I'm involved in ministry. They don't don't stay as late as I do to help with things. At the potluck, I baked a pie. But they brought Chips Ahoy cookies. The distracted disciple turns away from the glory of Jesus Christ and looks toward other people and becomes resentful. Notice in the text that Martha is not concerned with Jesus. What is the dominant thought in her heart? It isn't Jesus, it's Mary. She is distracted and we see her distraction in her resentment toward other people. I think... Romans 14 helps us understand how we should treat other people. In verse 13, it says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. The distracted disciple is often resentful of other people. Let's continue in the story here. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. 
Now the response here from Jesus is significant. Martha, Martha. The repetition of the name is significant because it represents care. It represents endearment. So Martha, once again, pacing around the house, probably back and forth, once again, from living room to kitchen. She's worried. She's anxious. She's hating on Mary. Uh, She's mad. And she complains to Jesus and shows resentment toward her sister and her situation. And what does Jesus say in response? Well, go walk it off, Martha. Take a chill pill. No. His response is one of kindness and of patience. Isn't it wonderful that our Lord Jesus doesn't return to us what we often give to him? I was considering my own prayers from this past week and how often they are self-centered, how often they're filled with me, 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 and very little praise. Yet then I consider this story and our our Lord's response to Martha's self-centered complaint and his his response is that of care and kindness and shepherding. There's an old hymn that goes like this. Was there ever a kinder shepherd, half so tender, half so sweet, as the Savior who would have us come and gather around his feet? Don't you love Jesus for this? Who else is able to treat us with such tenderness, knowing exactly what we deserve? Martha, Martha. It's the same as, O Absalom, my son. O Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets. Moses, Moses. Martha, Martha. The distracted disciple is often often resentful toward others, but also, and this is the third principle, The distracted disciple is drawn away from the abiding word of God. The distracted disciple is drawn away from the abiding word of God. This is in verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what is this good portion, this good part that's referred to here? I think it's quite clear. Jesus here refers to his own words, his own presence. Mary chooses to listen to his words rather than worry about different things. And see, this was the thing that mattered above all else. Serving dinner for Jesus was good. Opening her home to him was good. But the best part was to be with Jesus, to hear his words of life, to receive instruction from his words. This is what Mary chose And Jesus reminds Martha, this is the thing that will never be taken from her. Long after Martha forgets what she made for dinner that night, long after she gets over Mary not helping, even long after Jesus is taken away from them, the words he spoke that Mary received would last. what's What's the solution for distraction. So we see these characteristics of a distracted disciple. A distracted disciple is distracted by good things. A distracted disciple is resentful of others. The distracted disciple is drawn away from the abiding word of God. What's the solution? Well, it's to remember the main thing. 
that we receive from that what we receive from Jesus is far greater than what we can ever do for Jesus. What we receive from Jesus, salvation, mercy, grace, what he's done for us on the cross, what we receive from Jesus is far greater than whatever we could ever do for Jesus. We need to beware of a performance-based Christianity, a type of Christianity that's all about what we can do for Jesus. We need to think in terms of commitment to Christ rather than achievement for Christ. Commitment to Christ rather than achievement for him. It's good to serve Jesus, but he don't need us. It's good to work hard and serve in the church. We need Marthas who can organize. I, believe me, I know we need Marthas who can organize and execute wonderfully complex things, but only in as far as it makes way for the main thing. That God's word is proclaimed and Jesus is lifted up. Hopefully this week we can start thinking in terms of commitment to Christ as opposed to achievement for him. As if there's some goal we have, some amount of hours we need in order for him to accept us and love us, in order for a relationship to be possible. So once again, the distracted disciple is distracted by good things. They are resentful of others. And they are drawn away from the abiding word of God. And the solution is, of course, to think on and remember the main thing. Let me pray for you. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Let me pray for you as we close today.